0: Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hugan, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to The Gospel for Life, and we are doing a series on the Church in the State this week, and kind of what we covered so far is that the church is uh, an institution that's appointed by God in the Scripture. God calls the uh, church out of the world. Um, that's the Greek word ekklesia. Um, They're a called-out gathering, and and they profess, you know, Christianity, Christ them crucified to the world, and they are the saved ones. And then there's the state, which is also instituted by God, ordained by God for our good. Um, And that's, I think, difficult for us to remember, especially in these days. Um, But it is an institution of God. We see that uh, immediately in Romans 13. So let's just begin there today. So Romans 13, Paul says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Now, on the show today, we have Matt Marino, and I, I just wanted to introduce you before we got to this content, and of course, uh, Jonathan Van Hoogen. Um People are going to use this passage and say, hey, look, um, the state, I live in California or whatever, you know, state's telling us not to sing in churches. Uh, or I live in Illinois, the, the governor's not even allowing us to meet. Or I live in Boise, and, and the, the the mayor's telling us to wear face masks everywhere. Um, and there, there are some people who approach this text and say, hey, that's what the authority is saying. Mm-hmm. And so we need to obey what the authority is saying. If we, if we disobey what the authority is saying, we're disobeying God.
1: Right. How do we respond to that and be faithful to the Bible? Well, the first thing we need to do is do proper exegesis. Romans 13 is not, it was not like many other passages, it was not meant to be a panacea. It was not meant to be a whole treatise on everything the Bible teaches about um, politics and about authority. It has a historical context. Paul's writing to a real historical church that just eight to nine years before the letter was written, Claudius, the previous emperor, had kicked out the Jews in 49 AD. They had been readmitted under Nero. And this is before Nero got really, really bad. But during this time, Paul had a, you know, think about this for a second. He's writing this to the church in the capital of the empire. And it's not the only place that he has this concern. You see this in Titus 3 as well, and you see it in Peter's letter but there was a concern to show uh that the church were the they were the best citizens you know they could so there was very much a gospel mission that they were on in being submissive and having a submissive disposition so paul is talking about that in this context in proving that out and so it's very restricted it's not meant to be a, a like i said a panacea for every form of government there are difficulties that come up if you take a pietist or a statist interpretation of romans 13 that it's just a blank check to the State. there's there's problems just on the surface you know uh he will do good and and you know is paul saying that every time i submit that the state will have this wonderful disposition toward paul would be executed by the guy that was caesar at this moment mm-hmm. and if, so that just doesn't work and it's interesting historically too hitler
0: quoted this passage to the lutherans in germany
1: as all tyrants do yep yeah yeah mm-hmm. edmund burke uh Corrected them, and he was a member of British Parliament. For those that want to say that the American Revolution was uh, an unjust, uh, uh, not measuring up to Romans 13, not that Edmund Burke is a Bible authority, but it's just interesting in British Parliament. He was saying that the crown had overstepped its bounds and so forth. But having said that, there's historical context, there's biblical theological context with Genesis 9 that has to be taken into consideration. But the biggest problem is how do I apply this to today? without applying it to the form of government that we have today. That's the biggest defeater for the statist interpretation of Romans 13. So say that one more time. So if I say to a statist, okay, you want me to apply this to today, right? Oh, yeah. Romans 13. Romans 13. And I say, okay, well, I'll find Caesar, um, you know, and see if, well, and they know I'm being snarky at this point. And I'll find the guy with the sword who's just had a lunatic out in the village square waving a sword around. And they know I'm being snarky and they say, no, 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 Matt, you know what I'm saying. You apply this to the form of government we have today. Okay, great. What is the form of government we have today? It's a constitutional republic. And at this point, I know people are hearing they could be libertarians, they could be anarchists, they could just be cynics that say, well, that's not even our form of government. That's a worthless piece of paper. Okay, I'll I'll grant you that for a second. But on the piece of paper, here's the deal. I'm talking just to the statists that want to obey the letter of the law. What is this constitutional form of government? And what you have, whether you like it or not, is a document that was created by those states Mm -hmm. that say, we the people, and they ordain this power to restrain the federal government. The Ninth and Tenth Amendments are very, very explicit about that. That's why the Bill of Rights exists, because the Anti-Federalists were not going to sign this unless they they guaranteed to the people that— Whatever was not in the Constitution was not delegated down to the federal government. That wasn't their business. So ninth and 10th uh, uh, Amendments are basically the exclamation point on the Bill of Rights to say that if, if we forgot anything, you can't do that either. Okay? So it was that kind of a thing. Now, some people will want to assert the Supremacy Clause, which is Article 6, Section 2 of the Constitution, to show that federal power is supreme. That is not what it says. What they say is, the Federal government and the laws pursuant thereof— are the supreme law of the land. Well, that's not what it says. It says this constitution and the laws pursuant thereof. So anytime you get into this kind of discussion, some constitutional lawyer is going to pop out of the woodwork, a statist, and say, no, the federal law is supreme. That's not what it says. And that's the part that they're citing. So the states are supreme. And and let me
0: just uh, comment for our listeners right now. We're we're trying to understand Romans 13 when it says obey the authorities. Mm -hmm. And if you're just tuning in, uh, Matt Marino here is trying to unpack... Which authority we should listen to mm-hmm. in uh, the context which we find ourselves in, which is 21st century America? Yep. Which ha- which authority is the final authority? Because these authorities are disagreeing with one another. You, you, you've perfect. asked Matt what time it is, and he's telling you how the clock works. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, so yeah. um, if you look, if you live in Arizona, uh, there in a, in a county there, there is an elected sheriff who's saying, "I'm not listening to the governor." Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to enforce this law. So now, immediately, Romans 13 comes to the fore, because if you're a citizen in that county, you have to ask yourself, which authority should I obey? Yeah. They disagree with each other. Now I'm in in a crisis because Romans 13 tells me to obey the authorities. Which one?
1: Yeah. And you're only in a crisis because your church tradition has, for the past two or three generations, robbed you of your brain and you're not able to think through these things.
0: Tell us what you really think.
1: I, I will say, I do. <laughs> and I, I have to say, my, the constitutional argument is not even the highest argument, but if we're going to talk about the letter of the law and everything, that at least presents you with this massive problem. Because even when you get there, you know, in California, it, it happened a couple weeks ago, you know, uh, Trump said one thing, and everybody said, okay, yay, back to church. Governor said another thing, oh, not so much. Uh, well, Trump said another thing again, well, let's put it to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, eh, yeah, yeah. yeah, which is exactly what we appointed them for. Uh, and then once that happened, uh, they said, oh, back to no going to church. It occurs to me that people that assert Romans 13 and they just play the Romans 13 card for everything. It seems to always have something in common because, you know, what you would think when the president says something, he's got the most firepower. So, you know, there's this hierarchy they have in their brain and and I don't think they even know that they have it there's this hierarchy that's an anti-Christian hierarchy. Whatever gives us the worst beating, it's like a martyr complex. That's the highest magistrate. I don't care what the law says. In fact, we're not competent judges. The Supreme Court is. Well, there is
0: a spiritual deception, I I think in the church that we are are susceptible to. Uh, It it seems, I think the martyr complex is actually a very good Mm -hmm. description. Mm -hmm. It seems very pietist to say, well, we just need to suffer for our faith. So let's listen to that most tyrannical authority. Well, what what would it give us that impulse?
1: Yeah, I don't see that. You you're starting to add a lot of stuff that I don't see in Romans 13. Right. In order to interpret it that way. Right. So. Right.
0: Um you mentioned um the phrase higher authority or highest authority Mm -hmm. uh maybe it'll do good at this point just to give a quick plug for a couple books that we're reading right now uh james bannerman 19th century scottish presbyterian wrote this great book called the church of christ it gives you like eight chapters on the church and the state very good reading you can buy it from banner of truth and then you have a, a really great book as well
1: yeah lex rex by samuel rutherford also a scotsman There must be something in the water up there. (laughs) Uh, Freedom. uh, And that's just Latin. It's it's the law and the prince or the law and the king. Uh, But we get that idea that the law is king. And that really is my bigger argument than the constitutional argument is natural law that stands even behind that.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe I'll just give you a a running start with that. And we have about three minutes left or so. Um, When Bannerman is arguing uh, kind of against – what he calls the voluntary theory in his day, which is kind of modern-day libertarianism, that you know the the state should be religiously neutral. Um, he essentially says, "Look, um, if we if we approach the state in a very religiously neutral way, then we're giving them the power to um, dictate to us what our conscience should be or what our conscience shouldn't be, because we're basically saying that's not a God ordained function of the of the human soul." What Bannerman is saying is saying, no, 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 we don't argue our ultimate. So in California, you brought that example. Mm-hmm. In California, um, is it right to argue uh, we have First Amendment rights? Of course it is. Mm-hmm. But what happens if you live in China and you don't have First Amendment rights? Right. You're not going to argue First Amendment. You're going to say, no, no, no. God mm-hmm. has ordained this, has given us the right and the command to gather, and you don't have the right mm-hmm. to overturn that law.
1: Yeah. And that is a clue that even here in America, that we ought to orient ourselves to that kind of an argument as well, ultimately, to not just have it in our back pocket. If things get really bad and the Constitution is not listened to, the Constitution hasn't been listened to since the Constitution. <laughs> so we ought to have a, a working understanding of natural law and that hierarchy of law to begin with.
0: Well, why don't you unpack that a little bit? We have
1: about a minute and a half, so go. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Um, Well, Thomas Aquinas makes it most popular, but again, Junius has it in there as well. But the idea is that, so I I did bring up on the board, eternal law, natural law, and so forth. And you say, well, um, okay, how does that work out? Well, let me give you an example in history. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. in his letter from a Birmingham jail, he quotes from Aquinas. And and here's what he says. He says, how does one determine whether a law is just or unjust? He says, a just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. To put it in the terms of St. Thomas Aquinas, an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal and natural law. So you might think, again, that's just, um, that's just pie in the sky type stuff. But the Declaration of Independence wasn't just written before the Constitution, it has, in their minds, the force of law. Yeah. That's why they wrote it. It wasn't just like a, a letter of uh, pleasantries to the king. Before before we shoot you, we just want to give you a little heads up and uh, scroll this out on a napkin or something, but it doesn't have the force of law. Now, the whole point was that these natural rights, they actually believe that God gave you these things, and governments were instituted among men to protect these, so that if the government was switched from being a legitimate magistrate to being a pack of wolves, that that hunted down the image of God. It's no more properly a state. They're right. just a mob. That's right.
0: Well, we hope we we have wet your appetite <laughs> <laughs> for getting into um, the important theology of church and state. We're going to continue this um, on tomorrow's show. If you've missed any of these uh, these shows on the church and the state, just go subscribe to our podcast, The Gospel for Life. and You can also catch some stuff that we've talked about on the Black Lives Matter movement. We hope to see you next time.